Thanks very much, Bongi. Otherwise, it is coming up uh, next here on SAFM, Talking Women. And what we have on the show today, we're going to be talking to a film producer, a very well-established film producer, at the cutting edge, called, talking about something called branded content. Also uh, very established is the orphan care industry, uh, the SOS Children's Villages, and we'll hear about the role of the mothers within them. And on motherhood, the hardest thing to do in the whole world is to outlive your child. And we'll be talking to the mother whose view of the world has changed drastically since losing her boy. She's the author of a book called Letters to My Son. Stay with us for that, but right now it's one o'clock, which means it's news time with Asanda Matsonyani. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Thank you, Nancy. Malema's partly built mansion is auctioned for 5.9 million, and the son of former Pakistan Prime Minister is kidnapped. That's in the news this hour here on SAFM. Good afternoon. The Sandown Mansion, belonging to expelled NC Youth League President Julius Malema, has gone under the hammer. It's been sold for 5.9 million rand. The half-finished property has been bought by Norman Tlobatla, CEO of a company called Magnified Designs. The home was attached by the court to help cover Malema's tax bill. The SABC's Lerato Makate was at the auction. The highest estimated value of property in the area is believed to be between 3 to 4 million rand. Malema bought the property in 2009 for 3.6 million rand. He had the existing structure torn down and began building his own mansion. The plans provide for a private cinema room, a cigar lounge, a wine cellar and a coffee bar, amongst other things. Scores of people are picketing outside the Constitutional Court in Johannesburg as the case between the Gauteng Education Department and Rivonia Primary School gets underway. The protesters want the court to rule against the school. In 2011, the school refused to admit a grade one learner, saying it didn't have the capacity. The department later ordered the school to admit the learner. The court is expected to decide on who has the final say on school admission policies, SGBs or the department. The SABC's Orasanis Tole is in court. A group of learners skipped class this morning to picket outside the constitutional court. Some can be seen carrying placards that read, quality education for all, Rivonia affects us all. They are also singing the controversial Aya Salama Gwala song. Meanwhile, Judy, the hearing continues in court. For SABC Radio News, Amorisan Sitole, the constitutional court. Parliament is set to debate the use of Vatarklov Air Force Base by the Gupta family. This after the family's private jet landed at the Vatarklov Air Force Base last week. DA's chief whip in Parliament, Wattie Watson, says the Speaker has approved a request for the matter to be debated. SABC parliamentary journalist Lulama Magya reports. The DA says it's critical that Parliament be heard on this matter and that public representatives are able to exercise their constitutionally mandated oversight role. Watson also asks for President Jacob Zuma to be present during the debate so that he can answer some questions. He says the abuse of government resources in this scandal has seriously undermined the integrity and security of the state and that parliament must play its part to ensure that culprits are brought to book. Swedish Minister of Foreign Affairs Carl Bildt says the race by many developed countries to invest in African countries will empower the continent to choose what is best for it. Bildt, who is accompanied by a five-minister delegation from his country, has been speaking on the sidelines of the World Economic Forum in Cape Town. Sweden plans to increase its investment in South Africa. Bildt explains. The fact that we have five ministers from Sweden here sends a signal. It sends a signal to the Swedish business community. I think there will be an element of envy from other European countries, and that sends a signal as well that uh, this is where the action will be. You better be here if you want to be part of the action of the future. We are competing absolutely, and that's a good thing, uh, because that makes it possible for Africa to choose what is best from the offers that are there from the world. To other parts of the continent, at least 23 policemen have been killed in Nigeria's central Nasarawa state in an ambush by a local militia. Officials say the soldiers were en route to arrest the leader of the outlawed Umbatse cult when the gunmen opened fire. Police say 17 officers are still missing. Members of the cult have allegedly been going to churches and mosques where they have been forcefully administering an oath of allegiance to unwilling people. The police were attacked in the village of Alakio near the state capital, Lafia. 
Overseas, former Pakistani Prime Minister Yusuf Raza Gilani says his son has been kidnapped by unidentified gunmen during an election rally. Gilani says his son, Ali Haida, a candidate for the Pakistan People's Party, was seized in the central city of Multan. He has accused his political opponents of being behind the attack, which comes ahead of Saturday's parliamentary elections. One person is reported to have been killed when the attackers opened fire at the rally. Recapping, the top story expelled ANC Youth League President Julius Malema's partly built Sandown mansion has been auctioned for 5.9 million rand. For SAFM News, I'm Asanda Matsaunyane. Headlines at half past one. Over to you, Nancy. Otherwise, with Nancy Richards. Thanks very much, Asanda. Otherwise, it is Talking Women with me, Nancy Richards, with also Hazel Makuzeni and Derek Fordyce, all with you through until two. Well, what we have on the show today, as I say, we're going to be talking to a film producer who's been long in the industry and she's uh, at the cutting edge of branded content, so we'll find out what that's all about. And also very established in the orphan care industry are the SOS Children's Villages. I'm sure you've heard about them. And uh, in the light of Mother's Day upcoming very soon, we'll be hearing about the role of the mothers therein. And on motherhood, I have to say the hardest thing in the whole world could possibly be to outlive your child. I'm going to be talking to a mother whose view of the world has changed quite drastically since the losing her boy at the age of 25. She's the author of a book called Letters to My Son. So that's what we have lined up. Hope you're going to stay with us. And uh, let's have a little quick look at what's news. Stuff of nightmares, I would say, especially for parents who've ever had a child go missing, is a story from the Cleveland, Ohio, where three women were held in captivity for 10 years, just released and escaped. Most scary, I think, is the 27-year-old Amanda Berry, who went missing at the age of 17 and had not been seen since until now and with a six-year-old daughter. What can the family have been thinking? As I say, nightmare material. And uh, closer to home here in Cape Town, now that Justin Bieber has uh, been seen to his believers and gone, the pulse rates of Cape Town's youth has seriously plummeted. And it's over to you, Johannesburg, eh? Bon chance. Well, at the other end of the age scale, in pop terms certainly, from Bieber is Madonna, who I read has just sold a very valuable French painting called Three Women at the Red Table for $7 million, or 63 million rand. 63 million rand. How wonderful must that painting be? Well, her rationale was the selling of something valuable for something invaluable, education. And she plans to use the money for her Ray of Light Foundation, supporting education for girls in countries like Afghanistan and Pakistan. And hopefully that's exactly where it will go. Good call. And just on the on the green and health fronts, the issue of genetically modified maize occurring in baby foods raises its head once again through the African Centre for Biosafety, who had tests run on seven baby formula products, and two, uh, two, of, two of them, being from the biggest brands, Purity, were found to contain no less than 56 and 71% of genetically modified maize, respectively, with nothing that says so on the label. Well, a couple of arguments from the ACB, the African Centre for Biosafety, are that people have a right to know what their babies are being fed, while the World Health Organization says GMOs are not likely to present risks to human health and no risks have been shown in populations where these foods are approved. However, ACB's rejoinder to that is that no studies had been done on the effects on long-term human health. Well, as I say, jury's out on that. Sure, you've got thoughts and opinions. Let us know, otherwise at safm.co.za. And uh, just on the issue of green issues, don't forget tonight is Enviro Show Night between 9 and 10. And what we have lined up, we're going to be hearing about the philosophy of memel organics in the Free State. Sounds fascinating. A little bit about the Waste Summit coming up in Johannesburg. We'll be talking to an awarded wastewater manager, to a trash trash trekker who's finally finished trekking, and to a tree talker. She's the author of a book called If Trees Could Talk. So catch your fancy. Join me for the Enviro Show tonight between 9 and 10. But right now, it's otherwise. Gear yourself for 22 exciting regular Friday evening appointments because Nuit for Nuit is back. We're going to rock you again with brand new music challenges, bubbling contestants, brilliant guest artists and our red hot band. Kick off your shoes, phones off the hook, on with your music hats and come and sing, play and laugh along with us. See you every Friday evening at 7.30 on SABC2 for the usual fun and games associated with Nuit for Nuit. Can't wait. Join me, Debbie Edelstein, at the 8th We Are The Leaders We've Been Waiting For Women's Leadership Conference on the 22nd and 23rd of May. 
Each year, the Women's Leadership Conference asks powerful leaders to share their leadership secrets with women who want to fast-track their path from good managers to great leaders. For more information on the Women's Leadership Conference, call Lizzie on 011-880-9749 or visit qualitylife.coza. Because when women connect, the world changes. Otherwise, on SAFM. Otherwise it is, we're in the business of connecting women and a reminder once again that otherwise we'll actually be at that leadership conference. Looking forward to that. Well, first up on the show today, Harriet Gavshon. Well, she's been in the film production for a good many years, or film production business, should I say, for a good many years. And I imagine seeing quite a few changes in that time. Well, the latest of which she's dealing with now through her company, which is called Quizzical Pictures, is branded content. So to get a bit of a picture of what that is, how it's developed and, and how she's been doing in the industry, we've got her on the line. Hi, Harriet. Hello. Hi. Hi. Harriet, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? For one terrible moment, I thought we were disconnected. Okay. Okay. Harriet, before we get on to branded content, tell me a little bit about you. I say you've been in the film production business for quite a few years. Yes, probably more than I should admit to, but about 20 years. Okay. (laughs) Must have seen a good few changes in that time. Yes, I have, actually, because we started working in 1993, which was really just before the big change happened. And we started working on SABC in preparation for that. So we've been around a long time. We've seen people come and go. And, uh, yeah, we, we, I guess we're veterans. Okay. When you say 1993, before the big changes came, are you referring to 1994 and democracy? Yes. Okay. Because I, I was thinking, yes, we, we, huge change, uh, change in, in content entirely. But I was thinking changes in the business generally. You, you know, over 20 years, there have been marathon changes. Um, yes, but all, and all over the world. I mean, mm. the, the the broadcast industry used to be quite a, a, a staid, known entity that um, it was a, t- a terrestrial television and, um, you know, there were not very many channels. And um, now, today, we see an absolute explosion of, of, of media and channels and Internet and YouTube and all sorts of ways of carrying your content and cell phones and things like that. Um, So it's a very, very different place to 1993. It's exciting in as much as, you know, we, the the consumers, have got lots of choices. Um, But for you guys, very, very competitive. It's competitive and it's very challenging. I mean, you have to, you you, you know, you you can't... rest on your laurels you can't wait for people to give you work you you know you you have to, you really have to be at top of your game why did you choose film in the first place was it did you have a did you have a yen for that did you study it what was your rationale oh, I, I had a yen for storytelling i mean i think that's still consistent in whatever i do and whatever medium i work in or genre i work in it's it's always about the story um and and which is really the way we organize our lives as human beings is through story and through narrative and then that happened and then that happened um and uh so that i think that is consistent and that hasn't changed but the nature of the stories you are now able to tell that you might not have been able to tell earlier or before is very different well well not not really because you know we we um we well, yes, I suppose it changes all the time. It changes all the time. And the medium has changed more than the story has changed. I mean, you know what people say is that there are only really seven narratives, if that, in the world. And it's just a question of how you organize them. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I, 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 guess, I guess what's happened is that um, there are many, many more opportunities to kind of flex your storytelling muscles these days. Yes, and I, uh, let's get on to branded content because that's really w- what you're about now. Um, can you just describe it to us in words of two syllables? Well, well branded content is when uh, a brand uh, uses, I mean, at its, in simplest form, when, when a brand uses content to get a message up, across, right? So, so branded content is about, is, 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 I suppose it's a marriage of commercials and entertainment. So instead of um, the commercial being an interruption in the entertainment, the commercial then becomes the entertainment itself. Um, so, th- so that means, you know, you know, so it's basically a brand using entertainment to get their message across or to associate with their, their key characteristics. 
I suppose it upgrades commercials in as much as it gives it more entertainment value. But is it, is it not a little bit like selling your soul? Am I selling that soul? Well, no, not necessarily. <laughs> you personally, I'm not going to put you in that particular spot. But um, branded content, is it not selling the soul? You know, we're looking at it entertainment, but actually what's really happening is that we're being sold a, a brand or a, or a product in, along the line. It's, a, it's always a conversation. I mean, in fact, all, all television, all commercial television, and including the SABC, is really a platform to sell advertising, right? It's absolutely integral and has always been integral. So I suppose it's just doing so in a, in a slightly different way. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's sort of recognizing that people, you know, don't, that 30-second commercials don't always do the trick. Um, people, people might get, um, you know, might be bored of them. The age of the PVR is upon us, so we can spin past those commercials. Um, and also, sort of brands have more sort of a, a, a opportunity for certain brands to have more of a kinship with their audience instead of just talking to them through a thirty-second commercial. There's a way of, of of extending that, and that's you know the best kind of branded content isn't really about you know selling your soul it's about it's it's really about saying well what do you want to say about yourself as a mm-hmm. brand and what um what program or story or game show or reality show embodies that that value that brand value give, give us an example of how it's been used where you feel it's been really successful well i'll give you one example of what we we have have done in the past which is we worked with Amstel, who had a brand proposition at the time called Passion and Commitment has its own rewards, and they wanted to talk about like working hard and that their brand is sort of slow-brewed and it's made with passion and commitment, etc. And we had this um, reality show which we really wanted to do called Class Act, which was, which I suppose in its, in its um, crudest form, it's like idols for actors. Mm. Um, and... Um, and it, beca- and it became clear that it was a perfect, it was a perfect fit for this brand, because, you know, to be an actor requires passion and commitment, and if you know, if you get it right, it has a, has its own award. So, and we did class act for two seasons, and, th- and that was very successful because it was an absolute marriage of the brand's values, I suppose, and and the product and the entertainment, and that was done without any advertising at all, without seeing a bottle of beer anywhere or, you know, you know what I mean? It was done mm. in a very, in a way that was, um, in, you know, not, not obtrusive and, um, and very successful. And the audience wanted to see it. And they got it. They got the relationship. Oh, yeah, Amstel is about passion and commitment has its own awards. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so uh, um, and also we got to make a show that we really liked, which was very valuable, which the audience loved. Um, so yeah, I suppose it was uh, it was a good, it was a good fit. Yeah, I suppose some products are going to be more uh, they're going to have more credibility than others in terms of of creating that sort of story, whether you're making it up or whether it's absolutely genuine. But how do you measure the success of this sort of thing? I mean, you know, the audience is um, I'm not going to use the word gullible, but the, the audience is susceptible because they they want to be entertained, they want to look at lovely things, but they don't necessarily want to be sold stuff quite so directly. How do you measure it? What sort of audience responses do you get? Uh, not just necessarily to that one, but generally. Well, I mean, you know, there, there, there are different levels of, of measurement depending on the, sort of the, the infrastructure around the program. So and it's, at its um, most basic form, you get audience measures, how many people saw it, and did they stay for the whole program, or did they turn off? Or, you know, that, that we would get from any program we make. Um, and then you know a brand a, a brand often has a big advertising and media management infrastructure around them, and so they uh, would use panels and research groups and their normal um, uh, tools to to measure impact. And then you know, in a, a, say a show like Class Act had an SMS component, component, so you can always see. And that's very easy to measure because you have very direct measurements and you can measure very accurately who's SMSing at what time. And then um, also today, I mean, in all our work, and we certainly don't don't only do branded content, but in all our work, um, having Facebook and Twitter as an instant feedback tool is absolutely invaluable. And you you can absolutely tell 
up instantly whether the audience is responding to what you're doing or not. And I suppose what's important, just lastly, is how you respond. I mean, obviously, everybody needs to be in work, everybody needs business, but if a job comes your way and you think, oh, you know what, I just don't believe it, do you turn it down? Yes, I do. Mm. We do. I mean, we also, as a, as a company, we have a brand value ourselves. We have a reputation. We, um, we, we are very, we, we very um, strong in the social space. We do a lot of... of, of uh, social and behaviour change in our communication. I mean, we, that's, we've done, you know, we've really worked extremely hard in the HIV and AIDS education and awareness space. We have some absolutely key dramas and programs which deal with those issues like intersections, for example. Um, so we, 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 you know, we certainly don't want to, to ruin that reputation. It's very important to us. Just lastly, it is, after all, a woman's programme here. Um, Harriet, do you th- is it, you know, you've been here for 20-odd years. Is it a business that you would recommend to women, or is it still a bit of a battle for women in the industry? I think it's less and less a battle, actually. Mm. Um, I think women are very strong in the organisational side of the industry, in the producing and production side. And creative. And then the creative, more, more and more, although it is a battle... And certainly there, there are a lot of initiatives, one of which we're involved in, to try and get more women directors onto sets. Uh, because, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a world that has traditionally been controlled by men. And, um, you know, a good deal of the people on sets are big, strong men, who older men, you know, who carry lights and uh, huge, uh, huge pieces of equipment. And you have to be a pretty strong woman to... Get through to them, you know, and assert yourself because the director has to run the set, mm. has to have the authority of the set. So it's a, it's just very it's briefly, a struggle, but it's happening. Yeah, just very, very briefly, the initiative that to encourage more women into the business is called what? Well, the, uh, the National Film and Video Foundation has just put out a call for women who want to make a short film as a calling card, and hopefully that it will become something else. Yeah. Um, and that's just, it's just come out right now. So if people want to look on the National Film and Video Foundation site, it's uh, and it's an initiative especially for women directors and writers. Excellent. Well, that's really good to hear. Harriet, very best of luck and uh, wish you a happy next 20 years. Thank you. Thank Branding you so content. Thank you. Lovely. All right. Take care. Bye. Cheers. Harriet Gavshon, she's MD of Quizzical Pictures. Well, if you're interested in the film industry as a woman and you'd like a, an opportunity to put together a little film, why don't you check that website? It's the National Film and Video Foundation. I haven't uh, haven't been on it to have a look myself, but I think it certainly sounds like it's worth a visit. National Film and Video Foundation and see what they're offering to women. You're listening to Otherwise. Stay with us. Join me, Vuyombuli, this Thursday and Friday, the 9th and the 10th of May, as I come to you live from the Hotel Investment Conference Africa, Hika, at Elangeni Hotel, Durban. Hika is a premier business-to-business networking platform focused on showcasing Africa as a viable investment destination for the hotel and hospitality sector. For more information, visit www.hika.co.za. This broadcast is made possible by the Tourism Business Council South Africa in partnership with the province of KwaZulu-Natal. Seven million children in South Africa go to school every day without shoes. Join Flip Flop Friday movement in partnership with SAFM. Let's make a difference to a soul this winter by wearing a pair of flip flops on Friday the 31st of May 2013. Purchasing a pair of flip-flops will afford an underprivileged child to own a pair of school shoes. To join the movement, go to www.flipflopfridaymovement.co.za. Are you familiar with BBBBEE strategies, processes and policies? Can you drive the supply management processes and systems? SABC is looking for an enterprise and supplier development specialist. The incumbent will be charged with the responsibility of assisting with the development and implementation of the latest government imperatives. The candidate must have a bachelor's degree in supply chain in management, specialising in procurement, with three years' experience in BBBBEE, our related environment. Preference will be given to candidates from designated groups in terms of the Employment Equity Act and the SABC's Employment Equity Initiatives. Kindly send your application, including a comprehensive CV, to the HR Manager, Group Services, Room 2644, Radio Park, or email groupvacancies at sabc.co.za. Closing date is the 29th of May, 2013. Otherwise, on SAFM.
Otherwise, it is Talking Women here on SAFM. And as you will surely know, Mother's Day is coming up on Sunday, so do make a note. A very poignant day for some, in particular mothers grieving the loss of their child, like Mignon Briar, who we're going to be speaking to in just a minute. She's written a book called Letters to My Son. But for the mothers at the SOS Children's Villages, it isn't about one, but about multiple children, with some of them looking after as many as ten. So we'd like to pay tribute to all of them. And we have on the line Myrna Thomas, who's a training centre director at SOS Herman Gamina Adult Training Centre uh, in the regional office. Got her on the line. Hi, Myrna. Hello. Hi, Nancy. How are you? I'm well. Thanks very much. Um, Mona, just give us an idea of statistics first and foremost. How many SOS children's villages are there around the country? And then how many um, how many mothers would there be? Um, we have eight SOS children's villages in the country. Mm-hmm. And we have over 230 SOS mothers and aunts. Gosh, that's quite a that's quite a statistic, isn't it? The SOS uh, Children's Villages, for those who don't know them, I know that you've been in business for a very long time, looking after children who are either orphaned or vulnerable in some or other way. How do the how do the children come to you? Are they referred? How does it work? Um, we work closely with the government um, through the department, the social services department, and all our children come to us through court orders. So okay. we don't take children on a private uh, arrangement with anybody. Okay. They are um, part of the system of our um, relationship with government. And they come to you... Yeah, and we become the legal guardians. Yeah, yeah. And we're talking about children, that these would be children below the age of 18, presumably. Yes, we normally take children from birth up to about the age of 11. Okay. But uh, because we believe in keeping siblings together, Nancy, we might take a child who's 12 or 13 if she's got she or he as siblings who are within our target group. Okay. So I was saying there that I, from what I understand, you know, one village or one one particular house can have, a, a mother house mother can have as many as 10 children. Is there a maximum figure? Um, at the moment, our maximum figure is 10, although in South Africa we're trying to work more in line with what the government is expecting, which is a, a number of eight. But I think you can understand, Nancy, when the need is greater than... Um, the legal requirement, we try to rather service the child than service the number. Yeah. Uh, It's interesting that you use the word service. I'm thinking, how does one service a child as a mother? It's such a difficult role. The the mothers themselves, are they they specifically trained by SOS? Yes, in in most cases, I would say 95% of the cases, we actually train the women who come to us um, to become the mothers that we, we are looking for that we, we hope can um, look after the children. So what qualifications so we, do they need? The bulk do, of the training. Do, do, they need to be, do they need to have been mothers themselves? Um, not necessarily. We do have a profile that we try to work with. So, yes, we, we prefer people who have had uh, experience of mothering. Um, mothering as in probably, probably a mother or a surrogate mother in the sense, you know, sometimes you have aunts or gra- um, women who help their sisters or take over their sisters' families. So to us, they've been mothers, even though they may not have been biological mothers. Uh, we do prefer single women um, because they, they hopefully will want to commit to our children. But most of the women that we do take in have been mothers or still are mothers themselves. I'm just thinking with that many children, I mean, you can be a mother. You might also have to be something of a sergeant major. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily, <laughs> I mean, I mean, quite seriously, it's, you know, eight children, all of whom have had mm-hmm. difficult backgrounds. I'm sure the challenges must be many. Yeah, uh, you, you know, you made me laugh when you said um, you, must have, you might have to be a sergeant major because my mother was a sergeant major and I loved her to pieces. Um, <laughs> okay. passed on. So, yes, um, like any mother, actually, Nancy, our, our mothers have to be multitasking, multi-rolled. Sometimes they have to be sergeant majors and some of them are very good sergeant majors. But most of the time, we're looking for them to just be caring, um, mothering maternal people. Sometimes they have to be nurses, um, teachers in the home, um, cleaners. Um, but the main thing is, as long as they, through whatever they are and however their personalities are, um, we want them to, to just be caring for the children. Um, when you talk about Sergeant Major, I'm just thinking of a story that came up in Ennerdale Village uh, recently where... A young boy came from school, and on his way from school, he found a snake. 
he picked up the snake to take it back to his home in Ennerdale, and uh, his mother made him chuck the snake away and punished him. Wouldn't your mother or my mother normally do that? I don't think there are many mothers mm. who would accept you bringing a snake into the home. Um, so that, that made me feel like, yes, our mothers are just like, um, our incest mothers are just like our own mothers. Yeah, yeah, it's not necessarily about being sort of kind and caring all the time. Sometimes you do have to be a bit fierce. Um, Mona, I'm yes. going to ask if you won't just stay on the line. It's time for the news headlines, but I'd just like to come out. I've got a few more questions in terms of, you know, how it actually works, whether or not the children all get along, whether they're picked to, to be together. So will you stay with us? Super, thank yes, you. I will, thank you. Mana Thomas, she is a training centre director for SOS Children's Villages. So we're going to be hearing a little bit more about her just a minute, or about that role in just a minute. Also going to be talking to Mignon Breyer, who's written a very, very moving book called Letters to My Son. So do stay with us. But right now it's uh, just after 1.30, time for the news headlines with Asanda. Thank you, Nancy. Good afternoon. Lawyers for the Gauteng Education Department have argued in the Constitutional Court that Rivonia Primary School in Johannesburg could have admitted one more grade one pupil when asked. The department is challenging the school's refusal to admit the pupil in a case that's crucial for school admission policies. The Sandown mansion belonging to expelled ANC Youth League president Julius Malima has gone under the hammer. It's been sold for 5.9 million rand. And Parliament is set to debate the use of Vatterklof Air Force Base by the Gupta family. This after the family's private jet landed at the Vatterklof Air Force Base last week. For SAFM News, I'm Asanda Matsaunyane. Details at 2. I'm sure you'll be tuned into top billing today, um, Nancy, to watch the Gupta wedding. I might not. I might okay. not. <laughs> Only because I know I'm, everyone is just wanting yes, and waiting to watch. <laughs> yes, I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm going to reserve reserve comment on that. But I just, I can't help feeling that a wedding over which so much money has been spent, oh, I just can't buy it. I just can't buy it. Yeah. But there you go. Anyway, I'll be doing the Enviro show, so that will keep me out of trouble. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Asanda, thanks very much. Well, otherwise, it is you're listening to right here on SAFM. We're going to be uh, talking in a minute to Mignon Breyer. Also talking right now to Myrna Thomas about SOS Children's Villages and the mothers they're in. But let's, before we do any of that, find out what's happening with the tennis. Hi, Natalie. Hi there, Nancy. Well, three of the places for the semifinals have been booked in the ladies' singles. And South Africa's Chanel Simmons has made it through to the semifinal after beating Julia Glasgow, the number two seed. She beat her in straight sets, 7-5 and 6-love. The first set was a bit topsy turvy with both players struggling to keep their serve but then things turned around completely and Simmons took that final set six love. She will meet Nadia Kichinok of Ukraine. She's the number four seed after Nadia Kichinok beat Jade Windley of Great Britain 2-6, 6-1 and 6-1. Also an incredible match in centre court as Windley looked like she was in complete control after winning that first set and Kichinok came back. It was almost like she only woke up in the second set and eventually was able to take it 6-1 and 6-1 just blowing her opponent off the court. So we're just awaiting the, the final one, a match of the quarterfinals and at the moment that's Timio Babush of Hungary, the number one seed. She's up against Samantha Murray of Great Britain, the number seven seed and right now Samantha Murray, the number seven seed, has taken the first set 7-5. So that will also be a very interesting battle and certainly a tough one for the seeds at the moment. Matt Manus for SFM Sport. Thanks very much, Natalie. Jazz is back in town. You never know what you're going to get at the Standard Bank Grahamstown Jazz Festival, but hey, that's jazz for you. Experience the magic of Steve Toure, Vusi Matlasela, Jonas Gwangwa, Mikasa, Shane Cooper, Barney Rachabani, Soweto String Quartet, and many more. 27th of June to the 6th of July. Book now at Compu Tickets, Standard Bank, moving forward. Moving forward, moving back, in fact, to uh, Mona Thomas, who's a training centre director at SOS Children's Villages. Hi, Mona. Sorry to have kept you waiting. Hi, J- just wanted to come back to the issue of these these clusters of children, the, you know, between eight and ten children and one mother. You know, I'm just thinking the thing about family dynamics can be a nightmare, no matter well, no matter what blood being thicker than water or not. Are the children um, chosen? in terms of their ages, in terms of their personality types, and is the mother chosen to suit the... or, or do you not have that luxury? We try to um, give respect to that luxury as much as possible in that when um, we, we know that a child's been uh, committed to our village or brought into our village, we have what we call an admissions committee. They try to 
match the child with the mother in terms of age. If, if a mother has too many children under the age of three, we wouldn't give it another child under the age of three. We try to create some sort of balance. But also we believe in child participation, so we, as much as possible, we try to also make sure that we can see that the child uh, connects with uh, a mother. If we can see that there is no connection, then we would try to look at another mother and see how they would... Um, it, it's, a, it, it's a difficult thing to do, but we try to look for an initial, um, even if a superficial connection that we can say we can, we can work from there. Um, so sometimes it's a bit like potluck. Um, the child is brought into a family, a mother is given a, given a child, uh, where maybe there might not even be enough paperwork on the child from the social services. And it's about getting to know each other and building that relationship. Yeah. You, you mentioned child participation there, and I'm thinking about one mother having too many children under the age of three, and I'm thinking, oh, imagine having even three of those children under the age of three could be a, a little bit scary. Do the children, the other children, both boys and girls, get roped into help, or does the mother have mother's helps? Um, there, are two, there are two things you've raised here. Yes, we do have what we call an auntie. We don't, we don't have a mother's help as in a, a helper in your house and my house. Yeah. No, we have somebody where we're trying to build a familial um, relationship. So we, we have a, somebody who's hoping to become or be promoted to a mother whom we call an auntie. She's had exactly the same training as the mother has, but perhaps because she's younger or newer into the system and there is no vacancy for her to become a mother, she is uh, seconded to two houses. So she serves as an auntie to two houses, where the children see her as a mother in waiting, um, but she's the aunt. When mum's not around, auntie is there to support them. Sometimes you even find children have stronger relationships with an auntie than with a mother. It, it all depends on the individual interpersonal um, interactions. So this auntie will help in both houses, yes, with the cleaning, the ironing, the cooking, but then the mother does those things with her. Um, she's not a servant to the mother. And they, they work as a mother and her younger sister. So when the mother needs to go on uh, days off, go to her own family or just take time off, um, have her, her days off, then the auntie takes over in the home. She steps in for the mother. And eventually when a mother retires, then that auntie would become the mother. I love the idea of mothers being promoted or even retiring, which I'm not sure that any of them really happen in real life. But gosh, Mona, thank you very much. If anybody would like to know more about SOS, is it what the website would be? Um, we'd at www.sos.org. Well, I'm going to repeat that because I think it's such a hugely worthwhile thing. And very, very happy Mother's Day to all the mothers, all 230-odd mothers right around the country on those children's villages. Thanks for your time. Take care. Oh, thank you for wishing them well. Thank <laughs> okay. you, Pleasure. Bye-bye then. Cheers. Mona Thomas, and uh, she's a training centre director with the SOS Villages. And if you'd like to know more, www.sos.org. And I guess any gifts that could be going their way for this Mother's Day, what a good idea. SOS.org.za Tonight on Top Billing, the Guptas host a once-in-a-lifetime Hindu wedding at Sun City. A week-long celebration of traditional music, dance, rituals and decorations comes together in a sacred union and a celebrity-packed extravaganza of a reception. Performers are ready. People have flown into the lost city for the wedding of the century. Lights, camera action and the stage is set. Don't miss it this Thursday, 8.30, only on Top Billing. I'm Tears Ngamoni. It was 16 years ago that my father started working at Total as a forecourt attendant. Growing up, there wasn't a man I admired more. In 2009, Total awarded the bursary that helped me get my degree in economics. Today, I'm following in his footsteps working as an intern at Total. They're helping me reach my full potential and that's why I'm proud to be part of Total achieving level 2 BEE status. Tears, we couldn't be prouder of you. Total, the journey of transformation continues. Jazz is back in town. You never know what you're going to get at the Standard Bank Grahamstown Jazz Festival, but hey, that's jazz for you. Experience the magic of Steve Touré, Vusi Matlasela, Jonas Guangua, Mikasa, Shane Cooper, Barney Rashaberni, Soweto String Quartet and many more. 27th of June to the 6th of July. Book now at Computed It. Standard Bank, moving forward. 
Otherwise with Nancy Richards. It is indeed otherwise with me, Nancy Richards, talking women and talking mothers, particularly with uh, Mother's Day coming up. Well, let me tell you about a book called Letters to My Son. It's been written by Mignon Breyer, whose son died at the age of 25 from leukaemia back in 2007. Well, losing Matthew changed Mignon's uh, view of the world irrevocably and, uh, and her place in it. And I guess through writing to Matthew, which she's done in the book, she's worked through both that place and her relationship with her with her son that was taken from her. Mignon, what can I say? What a book! I've uh, I've been reading it and uh, trying very hard to keep my composure, so I don't know how you're mm. going to keep yours. But to, did you intend for it to be a book when you started writing letters to Matthew? Um, thanks, uh, Nancy. Um, uh, that's a difficult question to mm. answer because I started off writing it in a therapeutic sort of way. Um, but halfway through, I realized that this might be the book that I wanted to write. Because I, I must just say that I had, I'm a researcher and I had initially wanted to do some research because after Matthew died, I simply couldn't find a book that spoke to me. Um, I just couldn't find anything that I wanted to read. And so initially I thought, well, I'll do some research and interview people and analyze that. And then I couldn't get through the first interview because the person I wanted to interview, um, I thought was someone who was trying to communicate with a child through a seance or mediums. And I felt I couldn't identify with that. So I actually... Um, I, I realized I couldn't speak to anyone or interview anyone before I'd put aside my own um, prejudices or ideas about grieving <clears throat> and could be objective. And then a, f a sociologist friend lent me a book which she had written which was never published but was very um, moving and it was about the death of her partner. And I realized then that a book that's written very personally, it doesn't matter how it's written, but could it be very powerful? Because I had not been able to get through a book since my son had died, and this was the first book I'd been able to read. And she also suggested that maybe I should do something called memory work, which is working with other mothers, other um, people who've lost children and do workshops and so on. So that took me to Anne Schuster in um, Claymont where she was living and I asked her if she would facilitate workshops and she said no why don't you just write to Ma write mm. about Matthew and so I started writing about Matthew and then I realized that there was a lot of his life that I couldn't remember I didn't know anything you know couldn't remember what had happened during those teen years and then I started writing to him um, in a way trying to address why we'd had that communication gap what had gone wrong and trying to make up for that and say the things that I hadn't been able to say. Mm. You admonish yourself for um, what you couldn't remember, but you have remembered a huge amount. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, goodness me, you, you know, one can't remember everything. But just going back to you talking to the woman who wanted to reach her child yeah. through seance, yeah. so later on in the book, yeah. or, or yeah. around about there, you, you say actually you found that what you were doing perhaps was the same mm. thing in just a different way. Absolutely. I, I subsequently met the woman and she's wonderful and um, I could identify with her in every way. We all have different ways of grieving, but I think to try and speak to the person that you've lost is quite common and I hadn't realised that. There was a lot of, um, there seems to have been a lot of searching as well. I mean, mm. you say that, the, you know, his, losing him has changed your life, your whole outlook on mm. everything. Um, you, you make sort of entrees into your spiritual self mm. and mm. going to church and, and being confused about that and your husband is Jewish. And so there's a lot of mm. confusions that you mm. may not have ever have come across. Did, mm. did, how, did, how did the spiritual search conclude or is it mm. ongoing? Well, as I say in the book, I think one of my problems in uh, dealing with my son's death was that I didn't have a specific religion that I belonged to, and I still don't. But in the course of the book and thinking a lot about uh, church and religions and different types of religions, um, I came to realize more and more where my sort of solace was, and that was in nature, I think. Um, and that was what uh, has kept me going, a sense of nature and of my son being one with that. And looking mm. for the signs in nature. <laughs> what, what do you call them? Your signs. You yes. know, your, your messages. And yeah. there's a wonderful moment where you, you get a message from Matthew. You, mm. you take it as a message from Matthew that this old tree has suddenly <laughs> started to, to bloom. And that was a wonderful moment. Yeah. 
Do, are they those moments ongoing? Yes, it was quite something to admit that I do this. I move jobs and things like that according to what my trees tell me. <laughs> but there it is in the book, yes. Um, and the, the trees did give me hope. Mm. As mm. And continue to give you hope. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Matthew, if, if you can. Uh, the you mentioned the sort of communication problems. He was, he, when he was a little boy, he was one thing, and then he got ear problems, and mm. and and his deafness mm. compounded everything in his life. Did that compound your your communication problems with him? Yes. Well, Matthew had a deteriorating hearing loss, which started when he was about four and um, reached a. a, a its depth and when he was 19 when he was profoundly deaf and at that point we um, he had a cochlear implant which absolutely transformed the last years of his life um, it, re it really is a miraculous thing and can I just say that um, the royalties from this book are going to go to the cochlear implant unit at Tigerberg Hospital I would like um, that to be known um, I, um, yes, Matthew's communication problems were enormous, as they are for all deaf people. Um, and in, in his case, they were very complicated by the fact that he tried to pretend that he wasn't deaf during the periods that he was hard of hearing and had not reached the point of com sort of almost complete deafness. So that didn't make it any easier, and he refused to have hearing aids for a long time. It um, it didn't stop him leading leading a life though. Yes, he seems yes. to have been quite a lad. He did all mm. sorts of things. He was a surfer. He he studied, and it, it also seems that you you suggest so in the book that it made him a very compassionate person. Yes. In fact, he was doing his M Phil, I think in. Um, I've written it down. It's quite a, one of those complicated things. It's on on poverty and women's agency in rural South Africa. That's right. And you ask yourself, why did you, or you ask him, mm. why did you choose that? Mm. That's right. And then I reflect on his, up, well, his origins um, in the Eastern Cape, which is where I come from, and his grandparents um, who worked at a school in Heeltown, a school where Mandela used to um, attend and did his matric. And I thought that Matthew had identified with the poverty of that area and of women specifically. His thesis was on women, mm. rural women. One of the things you say, Mignon, is that, uh, you know, there were times when you wanted to isolate yourself, mm. when you did isolate mm. yourself to go and write the book. Um, and it, it feels like it's a very isolating mm. thing. You're isolated from your husband, your other mm. son, from mm. all sorts of mm. people in your grief. Mm. Does iso you know, comfort, I'm thinking, for other people who might find themselves in the same situation, does the isolation help? Does it get any better? Do you reintegrate mm. into society eventually? Mm. Well, that was a five-month period. I wrote it over five months, and that isolation in that period is, was very important to my, I think, journey through grief in and out of it. I mean, before that, I barely, I could barely think of Matthew. I um, was in a state of trying to distract myself mainly through work. And then when I embarked on this journey of really thinking about him and writing about him, I, I felt the need to be alone. But that has passed, and I, I would say I'm integrated. Into, uh, not that I, I was still continuing with my job and so on, it was written in my spare time, but um, nonetheless I was uh, using every opportunity to be alone. Did it help writing, has it helped writing the book, now you have mm. letters to my son? Yes, I think it, I've, I feel as though I've completed something I needed to do, it was compulsive. The whole process, including the editing and so on, took nine months, which I find sort of significant. significant <laughs> yes. So um, I do, I do feel much better, um, more resolved, I think. And I, I think um, it's perhaps I can give a little bit of advice to other people that this concept of memoir, of writing, um, and of writing to a person that you feel you didn't say everything you wanted to say. Um, while they were alive. It's, I think it is a therapeutic process. I'm sure Anne Schuster would agree with you, and congratulations on having put it together, and I'm sure it won't, wasn't at all easy. I have to say it's a very, very moving read. Mignon Breyer, thank you very much, and I'm sure there'll be more books from you, so now that you've, uh, now that you've started, thank you. Letters to My Son by Mignon Breyer, and uh, it's published by Quella. And if, uh, if it speaks to you, do get hold of a copy, because the proceeds are going to Tigerberg... 
hospital, hospital. Um, cochlear implant unit. There you go. It makes it even more worthwhile. Thanks very much to the team, Hazel Mikrozeni and Derek Fordyce. And uh, up next here on SFM, time for Sharp Sharp, the children's programme. Sharp Sharp, children's programme on SFM with Leon Fisser. A little sharp sharp, that's sharp sharp. On the night before Christmas, Prescott was all bundled up, ready to go carol singing with his sister Sylvia and their friends. He opened the front door and peered outside. Gosh, he thought. It's dark. It's very dark. It's too cold for me, Prescott said to Sylvia. It's not, Sylvia said. You're just afraid of the dark. What a scaredy kid. Prescott went to his room and took off his calf and hat and mittens, and boots. He put on his pyjamas, turned on his nightlight, and crawled into bed. Oh no, he said suddenly. How could I forget? He got out of bed and pulled the window blind down tight. Then he drew the curtains to make sure he couldn't see the night. Prescott was afraid of the dark. He couldn't tell where the darkness ended, and everything else began. He felt as if he was disappearing in the dark, and that made him very nervous. Most of the time, it didn't matter that Prescott was afraid of the dark, but sometimes it mattered a lot. On Halloween, Prescott got into his ghost costume, ready for trick-or-treating. He thought that maybe the bright white sheet would help him keep from disappearing in the dark. But when he stepped outside, he saw it was rainy and foggy and very dark. Everything had disappeared. It's too wet for me, said Prescott, going back inside. Scaredy kitten, said Sylvia. Prescott stayed indoors that night and greeted the other trick-or-treaters at the door. They were all smiling or laughing. Prescott hid his sad face behind his mask. Just a few days later, it was bonfire night. Everyone was going to the village green to watch the fireworks. Everyone except Prescott. I'm too sleepy, said Prescott, pretending to yawn. Maybe I'll watch from my bedroom window. Scaredy kitten, said Sylvia. Prescott went up to his room and tried to watch the fireworks from the window. But he ended up turning on his nightlight, pulling the blind down and drawing the curtains to keep out of the night. He never saw any fireworks at all. A few weeks later, it was Prescott's birthday. His grandpa came to his party and bought a special present. When Prescott opened the box, he didn't know what it was. This is a telescope, Grandpa explained. You take it outside at night and look through it to see the sky up close. You'll be surprised when you see what's up there. But we have to wait until it's dark. Prescott didn't want to be surprised in the dark. He didn't want to go outside at night at all. Scaredy kitten, whispered Sylvia. I bet you don't go. But Prescott loved Grandpa very much, and he couldn't disappoint him. So when it got dark, he went outside with Grandpa and the telescope. He held Grandpa's hand very tightly. Grandpa showed Prescott how to hold the telescope up to his eye and look up at the sky. Just look through it and tell me what you see, he said to Prescott. Prescott looked. I see stars, he said. Oh, look at them. They're so shiny. And look at the moon. The moon is so bright. It's like a huge torch. Wow! Prescott was amazed. And when he took the telescope away from his eye, the night didn't seem so dark anymore. Is the moon there every night? he asked. Yes, replied Grandpa, 
on cloudy or foggy nights, you can't see the moon or the stars, but they're always there. You can count on them. I can? Prescott asked. Grandpa smiled. Yes, he said. I knew you would be surprised. I'll bet you didn't know there was so much light in the night. When Prescott went to bed that night, he didn't turn on his nightlight or pull down his window blind or draw the curtains. The stars shone in the window and the moon gleamed brightly. Prescott smiled as he watched the light of the night glowing in his room. He wasn't afraid of the dark anymore. And that sharp shop story is called Scaredy Kitten by Jane Resnick and it's from Ladybird's Animal Stories. Time for a song! This one's called Everybody Wants to Be a Cat and it's from the movie Aristocats on the Disney soundtrack collection. Let's go! Everybody wants to be a cat Because a cat's the only cat who knows where is that? Tell me, everybody's picking up on that feline beat. Cause everything else is obsolete. Strict high button shoes. A square with a horn makes you wish you weren't born. Every time he plays. But with the square in the act, you can set music back. Do the caveman days. I've heard some carny birds who tried to sing. Still, a cat's the only cat who knows how to swing. Oh, that's pretty long head kick stuff like that. When everybody wants to be a cat, a square with a horn makes you wish you weren't born. Every time he plays, oh, a rinky tinky tinky with a square in the act, you can set music back to the caveman days. Oh, a rinky tinky tinky. Everybody wants to be a cat Because a cat's the only cat Who knows where it's at When playing jazz you always has a welcome mat Cause everybody thinks a swinging cat enjoyed your time with us kids this show is produced by kim winter technical producer cassie lowers i am leon fisser till next time keep it shop shop and it is shop shop it's shop shop from the farm road and down to the city and it's shop shop
Crazy lamps to the coast so pretty and it's shop shop, it's shop shop From the monument down to Church Street, shop shop And that was Shop Shop, the children's programme, and there'll be more of that tomorrow. There'll also be more Otherwise Tomorrow Talking Women. And don't forget, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you're welcome. Otherwise at safm.co.za or find us on Facebook. It's Otherwise on SAFM. Thanks, team. Hazel Makuzani and Derek Fordyce. Up next, it's uh, Afternoon Talk, but first it's time for the news at two with Asanda Matsunyani.